Hello and welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. My name's Darren and I'm here with Faith. Hi. Pastor Faith. And we will get to the sermon in just a little bit, but we wanted to make some time and space to talk about something special that we've been having on Sundays. And it's a new song that Pastor Faith, you and your husband, Josh, wrote, and we've shared it with our community. Tell us a little bit about it. What's the name of it? Yeah. And where did it come from? Yeah, so it's called We Need You. Um, and I, I'm going to root this in 1 Corinthians 2 when Paul says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Um, the, the first thing that was written for this song was the beginning of that bridge section that says, We don't need better plans. We don't need clever thoughts. We need your Spirit, O oh God. We don't want the wisdom of man. We want we want a display of God's power, which is really what the world needs. They don't need to see a show, or even in the area of worship, they don't need to hear good music. We need to see a display of the power of God. So it came from that heart cry. And then the beginning of the song kind of sets up this space where we invite Holy Spirit, we open our hearts, we clear out all the distractions, the things that get in the way and then just simply cry out for more of Him. And it's this this longing to be a, a space where the Spirit would rest mm-hmm. as a community. Yeah, I love that. That's such a the heart and core value of Garden Church. Exactly. Knowing that the Spirit is present, like He's welcome to the party and we get to celebrate. And I so appreciate the beauty and creativity that you've been cultivating, not only with worship, but just something that we can invite the rest of our community into. And, and it's so cool when, when uh, in the recording of this song, it's the first time that we shared it. And it's like people have been singing it for weeks. <laughs> and it was just such a cool thing to experience. And so we're so happy for those of you that have experienced that with us on a Sunday morning. And we want to see just more original songs being birthed from this place um, that you're talking about, just being saturated in the Holy Spirit. So we are welcoming you to stick around after the sermon where you can hear a live recording of the song, We Need You, and I hope it blesses your heart. Garden Church Podcast. I'm teaching out of, if not out of Ephesians today. I want to give you a word because um, a few months ago, I felt like the Lord say, um, hey, I've given you prophetic words, and I'll explain that in a second, but you haven't received it as a church. So you're looking for fresh words, but you need to go back and take hold of these, these old words that you didn't know how to deliver. And that's not your fault. That's my fault. Because what I've learned in our context of church today is how to lead as a pastor teacher. That's the only example. So if I have a prophetic word, a, a revelation from the Lord that's fresh, that's in scripture and it's for this moment, I don't know how else to, deli- to deliver it other than a sermon. But what I'm realizing is it needs, you need to pause. You need to stop the normal flow of things and say, this is something else. And, and I don't know how it will land, except that I need to tell you, this is something else. And it requires you to pay attention. And this is not for the outside. If you're visiting, you're just checking us out from other churches. That's totally cool. This is for garden church. This is for gardeners, men and women, and, and kids who will sacrifice for the success of the body, this community. 
And, and this word has a little bit, it's a little different and it needs to be received differently. So it might seem like a sermon, but if that's all you have eyes to see, that's great. You can get something out of it. But if you recognize there's something else underneath it, you might, it might take you someplace else. All right? Are we okay? So if you have a Bible, we're going to go to Joshua chapter 3. Um, and um, I actually want to illustrate it because I don't know if you've read the Old Testament prophets, but whenever, whenever there's like a prophetic word, God, God is like a God of props. He, 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 like, he like illustrates the message in, in the prophet or in the person or in, in the communication. Like if you read Jeremiah, there's all sorts of creative things Jeremiah does to like show people. Like there's an Ezekiel passage where Ezekiel is told to lay on his arm like this. Watch this. You can zoom in in the, if you're watching at home, good luck. And he has to like lay. I'm trying to figure out how he would do it. He lays on his arm like this. Do you know how many days? How many days? Over 370 days, all right? And then he does the other side for a little bit. And then God says, okay, now that your arm is withered and shriveled up, point to the people and say what I've, I've commanded. And the point wasn't just the word. Hi, Maisie. Um, the point was the illustration and the embodiment. So this will be a fun one. I need some people who are really good at backpacking. Anyone, like, raise your hand if you've been camping and you've, ba anyone backpack? Anyone, anyone, okay, John, you're going to get up here. John, we need one more. Jake, I'm going to actually, Jake's not even good at backpacking. Jake, you're going to come up. Um, I don't know if you are. Yeah, he's excellent. He's a mountaineer, mountaineerer, mountaineer. All right, so check this out. Uh, these are my two friends, Jake and John, um, and they're going to illustrate something for you in just a second. We're going to continue with the sermon, but I'm just going to have you guys, would you mind just setting up camp? And you can go right here. I'll move over here. You guys work together as fast as you can. We're going to go to Joshua chapter 3. Make sure you can turn it so they can see what's coming out. Okay, Jake, it's called staging. Like you have to open up your body too. So just, there's a bunch of stuff in there. Would you just set up camp? They're going to set up camp. If you go to Joshua chapter 3, that would be super helpful. And let's just, don't pay attention to them right now. Um, <laughs> Um, but I'm going to try to do this as we go. But this is kind of fun. You're used to multitasking. So we'll talk about that when we talk about holiness in a second. But for now, um, this, the thing I want to share is this. It's answering the question, how do we prepare for God's new thing? Uh, it, it doesn't take a lot of wisdom or spiritual insight to make the observation that there's a lot of things going on in the world right now. And you could talk, zero in on the, the local church, you can zero in on the global church, but you can zero in on the world and see there's so much disruption happening. What's going on? I love what Mark Sayers says. He says, as we study how God brings renewal throughout history, we begin to see a pattern that crisis plays in renewal. A community may experience a natural disaster or a war or be pushed back into God. An individual may experience a period of wilderness and isolation, crying out to God, who then comes to them in their pain. This person gains spiritual depth, being renewed, becoming an influencer for God. Crisis and the transitions that they bring are one of the critical ways 
that God uses to move us. He says, crisis precedes renewal. And it's so clear to see that we've, we're coming out of a crisis, stepping into a different kind of crisis. And I wonder if we will waste this opportunity like we wasted COVID. The immaturity of the church came out in COVID. And I wonder if we're ready for what's coming. I'm not being an alarmist. I'm just reading a couple of papers every few days because it's pretty dramatic. And I want to say, how do we prepare for the new thing? So Joshua 3 gives us some insight into this. So if you have a book, we've, we've already read this. Uh, Kelly started off, but I want to go back there. If you haven't read the Bible, Joshua is this character who steps into leadership after Moses died. So his, new, his, his beginning into the, the role of ministry is following the greatest leader Israel had ever seen. And his story begins with Joshua, my Moses servant, my servant Moses is dead. So his framework is he now has to replace this epic leader. And he steps into this calling, and his calling is to fulfill a 400-plus-year-old promise from God for the people of God. He is the one God uses to bring people into the promised land. He is the one who will fulfill the inheritance of land flowing with milk and honey. This guy is the one. And so it begins, and I just want to zero in on this story because I think there's three things we can do to prepare for the new thing. Number one, um, it says this in verse, verse one, early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp giving orders. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then... You will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. And then it says, keep a distance of such and such. Okay, how are you guys doing over here? John, are you putting your lips on my blow-up mattress? It's in there. (laughs) Pull it out. How do you prepare for, you can put this stuff over here. Look, it's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Look at this setup, guys. You guys are doing great. How do we prepare for God's new thing? So I was thinking about this. Um, When you read this story, Israel had been camping for 40 years. And now they're going to go and and begin to take the territory. They're going to go and inherit. Check this out. They're going to inherit what God promised. And they're going to have to fight for every inch of their inheritance. Sometimes God speaks a word and we think it's just going to magically drop on our laps. But but God actually invites us into becoming a person who can occupy the territory. So I was reading this going, oh, it's so interesting. Why would they move from this location, Shittim, to the Jordan? And I look on a map, and it's not very far. It's less than a day travel, and it's like a couple miles. and, And only to camp there for three days and then cross over to the Jordan. Because I was, when I originally got this word, this sense, it came after I went camping. I went camping with two kids by myself. I actually went with with Chad and his girls 
But I, I brought a, th- a three-year-old and a five-year-old camping by myself. Now, Alex helped me prep all the food. It was all prepped. But the amount of work and energy it took for me to go and camp with two kids was exhausting. Does anyone know? Has anyone camped with kids? Raise your hands. Some of you are much smarter than some of us, and I appreciate your wisdom. Um, But check this out. So this is two guys setting up a backpack full of stuff. Great job. All right, you guys, make, wait, wait, don't go anywhere. Hold on, just make yourself comfortable, John. I know you got the great, um, look at that. Okay, hey, give it up for these guys. They did really, they did. You got coffee, you got your stove. Yeah, you got a stove set up. Let's not light that inside. That's toxic. Um, they did such a great job. Okay, now tear it down and pack it up. Pack it up. No, hold on. Before you pack, I just want to make, like, camping, no matter how, how, how minimal you go, you will do everything because it's human nature to be as comfortable as possible. Like, you have a sleeping pad, you have a chair. I have, this is a testimony itself. I have an insert for the sleeping bag in case it gets too cold because you, I learned from experience and I almost died. Um, you have, I, I have, I have a burner here for a, a this is a French press because you, you have to have the essentials when you go. Like, <laughs> uh, you go, so you can tear it down. Okay, so th- this is the thing. When we go camping, there is an entire industry built around making it as comfortable as possible for what? For sleeping outside. Like the whole point is to be outside. Yet our human condition, what we do naturally without having to think about it, is our brains are hardwired to make it as easy as possible for us. Why would God cause them to uproot everything? We're talking hundreds of thousands of people moving a couple of miles away only to set up camp again. And then, I mean, this is all the easy stuff that you get. Oh, why would he do it? I'll tell you why. Because we get comfortable. And when God begins to do something new, you know what happens? And you know what we need to do as a practice? We need to intentionally disrupt our comforts and reestablish our convictions. Because when we get comfortable, when we choose, you guys, you don't have to do that. I can do it later, but it would be helpful if you just tear down the tent. Um, Because when we get comfortable, when we begin to find ways to, um, to, when, when we just live our lives unintentionally, uh, we are, our natural instinct is to move towards comfort. There's nothing wrong with this, but when it moves toward, when we live our lives unintentionally and when we leave our lives unchecked, it will lead from comfort to compromise. When the people of God are asked to go here to camp for three days, God is preparing something. And, and they're going to learn that there's, gonna, there's something else coming and they have to be ready for that thing. And the beginning part of this is to recognize we are people whose identities have been formed around the mission of God. We are people who must not be comfortable in the mundane and ordinary because we've been called apart from the ordinary. We've been set apart from the world to be set apart for. We can just get cozy even in the wilderness because we were built this way. And God wants, in the, when he begins to do something new, he starts to disrupt, 
disrupt things in our lives. He starts to recognize that, hey, there are areas in our life that we need to challenge because these things have caused a bit of complacency. We move from living comfortably to reestablishing our convictions. You guys, thank you. Can you give it up for these guys? What an amazing... They came to church. They didn't know they would be tested on their wilderness survival skills. I know they've been watching alone, trying to figure out how they could survive in the Alaskan wilderness for 100 days. I was just camping with the Pursuit guys this yesterday and Friday night, and we went off-roading. And off-roading, and then you know everyone has their own... They slept in vehicles. I slept in my friend's van. And, um, and even there, it was like we bring as much civilization as possible for this wilderness experience, right? Now, this is what I want to say about part one. And um, we have to learn to move from living comfortably to li- uh, reestablishing our convictions in the Lord because we need to remember who we are and why we are here. We are the people of God following the presence of God into his promises, And it's easier to uh, find our identity and our purpose in our work, in our family, in our career, in our dreams. We find significance in our finances and all of these things. And when we settle into comforts, we settle for counterfeit gods. And some of you have settled. Some of you have settled for a powerless Christianity You've settled for ideological identities rather than the child of God that you are. You've settled for falling short rather than glory. You think about this, everyone alive, every human was destined for glory. Romans says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Paul's implication is that you were made for glory. It says in Romans 8, when you come into Christ and you have this new identity, you cry out Abba from the Holy Spirit and you are now co-heir with Christ. Co-heir. Christ shares his throne with you. You were destined for this. This is the image and likeness you carry, but you settle for being defeated in what is your promised land. How are we doing, church? Is this, does this resonate or is this for me? I don't want to assume you feel the sense of conviction that I feel, but I want you to just maybe take a hard look at the ways you've settled for comforts. And maybe God wants to shake you up right now. And he wants, you to, he wants to disrupt those comforts to reestablish those convictions. And, and for all of us, I just want to say, it's not like this pharisaic, like legal rule that everyone has to follow. It's going to be different for every one of us because God whispers his intentions to us. And his intentions don't always make sense because we surrender out of obedience. And on the other side of obedience is often obscurity and the unknown. But God's presence is with us. So some of you just need to recognize that you've lived comfortably. And I get it because right now the world is scary. Can we just say it? It's scary. Who would have thought we'd be coming out of a global pandemic into a potential thermonuclear war? That's terrifying. The idea that there's going to be shortages potentially, scary. $6.59 for gas and more, is that's nuts. So as the world gets scary, what do we do? 
We shrink back into our comforts. And the world wants us to be addicted to our phones and entertainment. Not to be seeing through through the worldview of Christ, the biblical warfare worldview that lets us see through the veil to see there's other activity behind the power structures with names and positions. There's other activity moving this thing forward. And we need to be sober-minded because the devil prowls like a lion. You know what keeps us from the awareness? Comfort. And I'm not saying comfort sin. I'm saying comfort prevents us from really stepping into our identity and vocation as followers of Jesus. How are we doing? Are we all right? And then the next line, the point number two, is, is from this verse. Joshua then says, and I love that, you will know which way to go because you've never been this way before. <laughs> like, what? You're, you're, hey, we're in the desert. You're going to know because we've never been this way. So be confident as we begin to set out because what you're going to want to do is start grumbling. I really like the little section of shade I had in this wilderness desert. I was really close to the area where you relieve yourself, you know, and it wasn't a long walk in the middle of the night to that one area. I'm going to, I want to make sure I fight for my position in the next camp. This is what we do, right? This is what we do. And so the next thing that he says is Joshua tells the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. So comfort leads, micro comforts unchecked leads to macro compromises. Right? So comfort will lead to compromise and compromise will lead to disobedience. And God, what what we have to do is, number two, is we repent from our compromise and we pursue consecration. How do you prepare for God's new thing? Church, remember, this is for ears to hear. We repent from compromise and we pursue consecration. And I'm using compromise because I don't want you to think of just sin because there are such black and white things that, yes, repent from the sin in your life, 100%. But some of us, God has whispered to us ideas, thoughts, um, invitations into obedience, and we've compromised the invitation. Because, well, this is crazy to give up alcohol. That's not a sin. But God's invited some of you into sobriety. It's crazy to get up, ne- give up Netflix, but I've heard of people in our church, they got rid of all subscriptions because God wants to fill their imagination with his presence. And as long as we're filling our imagination with world entertainment, we cut off access to what God might want to give us, which is an imagination of the supernatural. But we don't realize that maybe that little whisper was the voice of God, and we're sitting in a compromised state as we still scroll through Instagram when you've, been, when you've said, no, 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 I'm going to give this up for this season, but you're not obedient. And I'm not, this, the danger of saying this is, I'm, like, you're going to hear, like, Darren's talking about holiness and legalism. That's not what I'm saying. In my life, I have seen how saying yes to these micro-invitations that feel like a limitation has always produced this excessive abundance that I can't explain. And those of you that know my journey, you've seen the journey I've been on with this. And what I found in scripture is this, is that when you, every single time there's a moment of consecration, the word consecration means to make holy. The word holy means to be set apart from. 
The best, actually, definition is holy means to be set apart from something, to be set apart for God's purposes. Holiness is to be, you know, to be set apart from something, to be set apart for something. And what I've seen is when you pers- when consecration happens out of obedience, visitation is the outcome. Throughout Scripture, consecration leads to visitation. They consecrate themselves before Exodus 19. God comes down in fire and smoke and earthquake and lightning. And the glory of God f- fills the entire mountain. I was standing this weekend looking at this mountain in the distance. And I was with one of our, uh, one of our, our leaders, Chris Pollock. And I was like, look, imagine if we just saw fire and smoke and the glory of God. And he was just like, that would be terrifying. And I'm like, I know, but that's what we are made for. visitation. Solomon consecrates the temple. Glory of God comes. They spent chapters, and it's exhausting if you read the Bible in a year, because it's chapter after chapter after chapter of all the things you got to do to be ready for the, the, the sacrifices in the temple. And when the temple's finally dedicated, the priests couldn't do what they've been commanded to do, because the glory of God falls, which is the point, by the way. The point isn't the systems that got you there. The point is the glory. And we don't, we don't even want the glory in our lives. We don't want to linger long enough because it gets uncomfortable. I know it because we don't show up at 10. This, the, the 10 o'clock to 10.30 or the 10 o'clock to 10.45, that's when you get to participate the most. That's when you bring 166 hours of the week where you're by yourself or with your families and you come here and you go, we're together. And there was 14 months where we weren't together and we're not going to waste it. We're going to bring everything to Jesus because we want to see his glory. Moses was face to face with God. He was called the friend of God and he still asked for more. I want to see your glory. And then God says, you'll see my goodness and my glory just the backside because it's better, you know. (laughs) Have I been going for 33 minutes? Is that the clock up? Oh my gosh. Lord Jesus, have mercy. A.W. Tozer says, every man is as holy as he really wants to be. I'll just leave that there. <laughs> what does holiness look like today? Uh, I discovered the Nazarite vow about six years ago, which is this vow which I've preached on, I've taught on it. It was given to the people of God for people who are just l- really needing God to show up. And it was this Old Testament approach where if you really need God, there's this way you can pursue God with devotion and you you don't drink alcohol, you don't eat, basically you don't drink, eat sugar, you don't have treats, you don't participate in the festival things like drinking wine at the festivals. You, you don't cut your hair, which was a, a symbolic kind of demonstration of the Nazarite vow. It had to have a visible sign of this devotion, which will come to play in a second. And then you don't, can't be around a corpse. You can't touch a corpse, which we think, oh, that's normal. But in that context, in the ancient Near East, corpse and death was a part of normal life. And you, you would grieve around the body that died and there were your neighbors and families 
It was part of the life. Alcohol, food, this was all part of the life. And, and they chose to opt out for something else. And the Nazarites were always a reminder to the people of God of covenantal faithfulness. But as I studied it, and by the way, they, they grew their, this is so cool, when they, when they grew their hair out, at, when, once they finished their vow, they would cut their hair at the temple. The priests would cut it, and they would burn it on an altar as incense. So if you could just imagine coming to church, right, and then there's people outside lined up, and you, you smell the smell of burning hair. You're like, oh, this is gross. No, 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 what you smelled was devotion. Somebody just, somebody just finished a vow. And if you go to the New Testament, there's, there's an instance where we read uh, Paul took on the Nazarite vow. In, in Acts 18, at the end, it says he, he, he cut his hair to fulfill a vow. And so what vow is that? Well, it's the Nazarite vow. And then, and then he goes to Ephesus, Acts 19, after the conclusion of a Nazarite vow. And what happens after that, that Nazarite vow? A revival. Wow. Consecration leads to greater visitation. Throughout history, when the people of God, when the church wakes up to the crisis in front of them and says, Lord, there's a problem, but there's a problem here. Lord, I confess all that I've compromised. When they pursue holiness, God's glory comes and his presence moves. And almost every time there's a revival, it's not a system. It's not an approach. It's the heart. Holiness is what God draws into you. If you want more of God, you empty more of you. Which is why when we come and get prayer, every time when someone's new to receiving the Holy Spirit, the things inside of them often are the things that come out first. So they, they weep almost every time. When, God, when someone experiences the presence of God for the first time, there is this bubbling up of pain, of trauma, of hurt. Because when the Spirit meets the true self for the first time, they can't hide the wounds. And the whole point is he comes to heal you. He comes to transform you so that the father figure on earth no longer has reign as you live as a child of God. But you carry this father figure everywhere you go and you try to heal that wound, but the world won't heal it. They'll give you medication. They'll give you practices. They'll give you a bunch of yoga poses and all sorts of diets, but they won't heal what God can only heal. And so when we come to the Holy Spirit, he, he empties us. We start confessing. We start weeping with the pain. We start laughing because we're recalling all these moments in our life where God was there. And we can't help but be like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. God, you're so good. That's what happens. And he always leads you into your whole self, which I just need to say, when you're compromised, you're not living out of your true self. So holiness is going to be a moving target. It's not like it was in the old days when it was like, oh, well, we don't listen to rap music and we don't wear baggy jeans. That's how it was when I was growing up. We don't drink, we don't smoke. Yeah, those things, yes, there's some truth to that. I'm like, that's not, but I feel like if, if, there, if there was an invitation to our current culture, it's the distraction of our phones. It's the numbing of our, of our it's, it's the filling our life with comforts because everything in this world is designed to make you comfortable. All the new science and technology is about making life as a human more and more comfortable and convenient. And I'm not saying, okay, be anti-technology, be anti-any of these things. I'm saying 
Become aware. Live with the awareness of what is going on in the world. I took my kids, um, before I went camping, I took them to the store. I had to buy, um, you always got to buy some type of gear whenever you go on any trip, just so you know. So that's, right? Right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. We got two of you. All right, that's enough. Two or three are gathered. We're good. I've sold my wife on this concept. No. So I went and there was this <clears throat> backpack um, picture and then Channing Tatum and this dog. And, and it was at this shop. And, and, and Amos is like, oh, I saw a preview for this. Or he saw something. And it's like a movie about a dog. I'm like, oh, crazy. That's cool. And then Ezra's like, yeah, you know, we, it looks really cool. We should watch it. I'm like, I don't know, you know, what it is. And then I stop. I'm like, wait, this is a great opportunity. We're in the store buying something. Hey, guys, what's the message behind the image? Amos is like, uh, it's a good movie. Um, oh, that's good. Yeah, it's selling a movie. Yeah, what else is it? And Ezra goes, they're trying to get you to buy their bag. Yes. I said, everywhere you go, there's a message behind the image. We got to train our kids to see the world is trying to sell them something. And maybe some of you are like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize this. <laughs> wow. That's all I need today. Come Holy Spirit. Um, So at our leadership community today, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. This the whole point, by the way, of this sermon is for our leaders, which is why we have a leadership community. Because the prophetic word are for those that are, are stepping into a season of I, I want to build what's next with you, I want to serve the city and be scattered, and and I want I want to lay down my life for the bride, like Jesus invites us to as followers of Jesus. And so you you might not feel like a leader, but you're like, wow, I'm feeling really stirred. I want to just invite you to stay. We're going to have pizza, I think food, some type of food. There's food. Pizza, guacamole, sushi, pokey. I don't know. None of that. No pokey. No pokey. Too expensive. Too expensive. Thank you, Faith. I appreciate that. But we're going to talk. We're going to talk. What did you say? Cereal. The cereal. You're bringing your own food. Got it. I'm good. All right. I'm getting pokey. Uh, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save some content there for you. The last thing I just want to say is, how do we pray for, prepare for the new thing? Um, the, the rest of the story in Joshua chapter 3, verse 16, it says, uh, verse 6 through 13. I want to just read this to you. This is the word, okay? This is a story rooted in history, and just pay attention to what happens. Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So the presence of God leads the people with leaders who have been consecrated. So now, consecrated leaders with the presence of God are leading the people out from um, the camp where they've never been. It says, so they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, listen to this, today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of Israel so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses Tell the priests, okay, this is so crazy, who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Okay, now just stay. So the rest of the story is they do what, it, what he says. And the Jordan during flood season just dries up, okay? But I want you to see the story. And you should, you should read the rest of it in a second. But the people of God... Um, 
were formed by the stories of faith from their past. Moses did a similar miracle. It's very similar, and they would have known it. They would have memorized it. They would have recited it during worship about the time when the people of God got to the Red Sea, and they were trapped. And they look back, and Egypt is coming after them with soldiers. They're going to die. And Moses touches his staff to the water, and the Red Sea parts. And everyone walked on dry dry ground. But now, the word in the moment is Get in the water. Just, you're going to get wet. It's flood season. That is a fast-moving river. You're going to hold the presence, and you're going to be standing and tripping on rocks, and your, your newly consecrated attire is going to be soaking wet because you are the consecrated leaders with the presence and you're going to be in the water, and you're going to have to step out into the flowing river and trust I am the same God that was with Moses. And the leaders would have been like, time out. No, we know how this works. Can't you just touch the water like Moses? Can't you just, I know this is what we did two years ago is this. My old church. Lord, heal the arm. Why isn't it working like it did? Because the faith you needed yesterday is not the same faith you need today. And the faith we will need for tomorrow is not the faith that we have today. We need to renew our faith. So we, there's a point number three is how do we prepare? Is we obey God's word, we follow his presence and with renewed faith. Faith is spelled... R-I-S-K. You're like, no, it's not. Yes, it is. <laughs> Faith is standing, stepping, getting into the water, trusting that God will do what he said he would do. And so much of our lives, because of compromise and comfort, disables us to risk, which disables us to live in faith. Darren keeps talking about money and generosity. Yeah, we're $230,000 behind in our annual budget, which we've never had before. So we are in a place we've never been ever in 12 years, ever. God, what, what do you want me? Do you want me to call like people to other church? What do, I'm like, he's like, just trust me. Some of you are the answer to the prayer, but you are holding on because you don't trust him. But it's not just about money. That's an easy one. It's about believing cancer is going to disappear. It's about believing you who have been plagued with depression and anxiety and crippling ailments that have caused you to live with self-hatred and darkness. You believe there's no way God will bring light. And that's a lie. And maybe faith is coming forward today and saying, I want to want to believe. We have to become people who live by faith again because the miracle today will not look like the miracle yesterday. And God is calling a new church to get wet. 
He's calling you not to go off of the ministry school you went to in Northern California thinking that that's what's going to happen in the future to recognize there is a new wave coming. And we cannot deny or dishonor the old moves. In fact, I was at Rock Harbor last week preaching in our pre-service prayer. It was 85%, 65 and older. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. We need a multi-generational movement. It cannot be constantly the next generation. It must be arms locked, standing together as grandparents and great-grandparents and little four-year-olds passing out communion as you walked in, going, God's going to do something new. We're on the same team, but we got to get in the water together. So I want to invite you to risk to step into whatever the new thing God's requiring you. And in the past, I'd be like, oh man, it's your job. And oh yeah, you know, it's your dreams that God wants. And I believe that God wants to release the missionaries to all of the world. But I actually think we need some home game wins. We need the church to step into the church, stop deconstructing. I'm fine with deconstruction. I'm going to talk about it on Easter. The gift of Thomas, the doubting deconstructionist who, as he sits in community with his questions, he experienced the resurrection. Versus, I'm going to go start a little podcast and build my own ministry, deconstructing church. So I don't mean to, that's not coming out jaded because I was a deconstructor. The garden started as a deconstruction. We deconstructed the mega church. And this is what's so funny. I was like, we're never going to do Sunday gatherings in the morning. No, we're missional. Yeah. And then I started meeting the needs of the city. And people were like, hey, when you become a real church, we'll come. I'm like, wait, time out. What do you mean real church? Sunday morning service. Wait, no, no, we got, this, we got this theology on tap at the bar. We got this prayer walk. We got the group home thing. That's our church. We are church. Yeah, yes, and that's true. They're like, yeah, that's cool. But when you have a Sunday morning service, then I can belong. The most contextually missionary thing I could do was start a Sunday morning service. <laughs> but that's the point, right? And this is what, on the deconstruction thing, this is where we f- fail, is um, we have to sit in the church, in the pews, as we want to burn it down. So I'm fine deconstructing the things that are, the wineskins that have hindered the move of God, as long as you stay in the pews as we rebuild the new wineskins. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.
thoughts. We need your spirit, oh God, to stir up the fire of love in our hearts. We need your spirit. 